0: My name is Rory, and you get me for two weeks in a row, people. So um, excited to be here. Today we are wrapping up a series entitled, What's the Deal? And if you have been tracking with us the last few weeks, you know that we started this series by asking the question, what's the deal with baptism? And Pastor Mike got up here and shared, and what he shared is that baptism is an outward expression of an inward commitment. Now, if you were with us last week, you know that we asked the question, what's the deal with prayer? And we said that if we have the audacity to ask, God has the ability to perform. Well, today, today we're asking another big question, and the question is, what's the deal with, drum roll please, drum roll, what's the deal with generosity? Now, I know what you're thinking, hide your kids, hide your wife, and hide your wallet, right? Because... The mega church pastor is going to be talking about money. And here's the deal. Uh, we are going to talk about money. We're going to talk about generosity today. But here's what I want you to know. What I want you to know is I don't want anything from you today. I really, really don't. However, I do want something for you. I don't want anything from you. I do want something for you. And you can believe me in this. Number one, uh, the reason you can believe me in this is because I don't own a private jet. Uh, n- <laughs> Number two, I'm not going to take a love offering at the end of this service. And number three, I drive a 1994 Ford Taurus with a forest green interior. (laughs) Come on. So all of that said, uh, I really don't. I don't want anything from you today. Maybe a new car. Uh, No, I don't want anything... from you, uh, but I do want something for you. And what is that thing that I want for you? It's actually in your notes, and it's this. This is one big idea. In fact, if you take this away, I would consider uh, my message this morning a win. The one big idea is simply this. What you believe determines how you will behave. What you believe will determine how you will behave. And so uh, what this does is it's really true. What you believe will determine how you behave and it's especially true when it comes to the subject matter of money and generosity. What you believe about your money will determine how you behave with it. Will you be generous or will you live a life of ungenerosity, so to speak, of of greed, right? And so what I want to do is kind of uh, follow the same format we followed last week. We're going to ask some big questions. Since we're talking about generosity, the first question we want to ask is what is generosity? What is generosity? And to start, uh, that's actually a really great question because if you were to hop online or or look at definitions, there's tons of definitions for generosity. And to be honest, we use the word quite liberally in our culture. So I want to dive in and and actually just paint a few scenarios for you to help us discern what the true meaning of generosity is. Here's the, the first scenario. It goes like this. Let's say that someone steals a valuable piece of equipment from work, takes that piece of equipment sells it on Craigslist, and then takes some of the proceeds to then uh, donate, that, donate some of the proceeds to charity. Is, is that generosity or is that fraud? That's fraud. Scenario number two. Let's say someone gets a bonus and they take part of their bonus and they offer it to, the leader, to a leader of a nonprofit, but there are some strings attached. Uh, You have to use this gift the way that I say it, says the guys. You need to use it the way I want you to use it, in the time that I want you to use it, and on the pet project I want you to use it on. Now, is that generosity or is that manipulation? Manipulation. Scenario number three. Someone with an underachieving high schooler makes a huge donation to their alma mater. Is that generosity or is that strategic planning? (laughs) Strategic planning. Scenario number four, a little closer to home now. Someone makes $60,000 a year, goes to a Christmas Eve service, and gives $100 to the church. Is that generosity or is that easing of conscience? Someone, scenario number five, someone making $60,000 a year prayerfully and joyfully takes 10% of each paycheck all year long and supports the work of his or her local church. Is that generosity or is that obedience? See, the point I'm trying to make with these questions is for us to really discern the true definition of generosity. Because the truth of the matter is, generosity is more than strategic planning. It's more than easing of conscience. It's even more than obedience. So if it's more than all of those things, what is it? And I love how the theologian and evangelist John Wesley puts it. He says generosity is this. He says generosity is doing all the good you can, by all the means you can in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. In other words, it's a lifestyle of generosity. And so if you're taking notes, the kind of summation of that statement would simply be this, the definition of generosity is living to give. It's living to give. And the truth is, there is power in this form of living. I want you guys to watch a little YouTube video and get a hint of the power that we possess when we live generously. (laughs) Wait for it. Are you crying? Because I am. Yeah, why don't you say that, Abby? <laughs> See which one it is, you know? Friends, there is, there's power in generosity. And what I love, especially about that little picture we saw there is that there was something deep happening. There was an intention behind her generosity. Not only that, there was sacrifice in her generosity, spending her birthday money to get her brother the hamster that he had always dreamed of. So what is generosity? It is living to give. But not only that, the second question I want to ask is, well, if that's what generos- generosity is, then why should we be generous? Now, last week, if you were here with us, you know that I give you a little three-minute systematic theology. We blazed through a number of passages through Scripture and explained, like, why should we pray? Well, why, I want to do the exact same thing this week, except I want to answer, why should we be generous? So if you are following along, you can jump into your notes. But the reason we should be generous, number one is because God was generous with us. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he what? He gave, he gave. The greatest gift was nailed to a tree 2,000 years ago and because of that, you and I, we will never be the same. So why do we give? Because Jesus was generous with us. Why else should we be generous? Number two, we should be generous because it's pleasing to God. Hebrews 11, sorry, Hebrews 13, 16. We should be generous as well because it's being obedient to God. Deuteronomy 15, 11 and 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. We should be generous because when we are generous, the Bible says we'll be blessed. Acts 20, 35, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Proverbs 11, a generous person will prosper, but whoever refreshes others will also be refreshed. Pause button. Do you guys know what took place in this room over the weekend? Friends, there were 1,500 foster and adoptive parents and champions in this room, and our church had the privilege of hosting them and refreshing them and pouring out training. And not only that, they literally were able to give away thousands of dollars to these families on the front lines doing hard God-honoring work every single day in order that they could have like date nights, they could uh, go and have a babysitter, like this was so cool. Our church was a part of this. They were a part of refreshing this wonderful group of folks who really are doing God's work every single day. So let's give a round of applause to everybody involved in Refresh this weekend. But why else? Why else should we be generous? We should be generous because when you are generous, you are serving Christ, Matthew 25, 35 through 45. We should be generous because it keeps us humble. And thankful for the small things, James 4, 6, and 1 Thessalonians five eighteen. We should be generous because it increases our faith, 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7. We should also be generous because it disciplines us not to become greedy. Proverbs 21, 26. Some people are always greedy for more, but the godly love or the godly live to give. Why else should we be generous? We should be generous because it helps other believers. We should be generous because it helps the poor. We should be generous because it helps our families. We should be generous because it helps the elders and the pastors. Come on, somebody. We should be generous because when we do, the Bible says that we store up treasure in heaven. We should be generous because it unlocks opportunities for us. We should be generous because it's part of our DNA as Christ followers. We should be generous because when we do, the Bible says that we actually use our time wisely. And why should we be generous? This is probably the most important reason of all. We should be generous because when we are generous, we become more like Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. So now, you're probably thinking to yourself, Rory, you, you did it again. You shoulded all over us. And, and the reality is, friends, there are a number, there's literally thousands of reasons we should be generous. And that was just the tip of the theolo- theological iceberg that we walked through. But even though there are thousands of reasons we should be generous, I, I think we all know that many of us in this room, we, we should be generous, but we struggle. We should be generous, but we we do. We struggle with generosity. And and so the question is, well, why? Why do so many of us struggle with generosity? I heard a story, story recently, and it was about a little boy. A little boy uh, ran into the supermarket for his folks, and he grabbed a big box of Tide, and uh, then he took it up to the cashier, and he's making his way, and, and the lady's like, oh, hey, big box of Tide, running errands for your parents, huh? And he's like, well, kind of. It's, uh, it's really more for me. And they said, well, what are you going to use the Tide for? Oh, I'm going to use it to clean my cat." And so they're kind of like, really? The, and so the cashier said, I, I don't think that's a good idea. I think Tide might be a little strong for your cat. I wouldn't uh, say that you should wash him in that. And he listens, but he doesn't really listen. He buys the Tide, and he goes home, and he does his thing. And then a few days later, he comes back to the supermarket. And the cashier sees him again, and she says, hey, how did it go with your cat? And he just kind of puts his head down like this, and he says, not, not so good. My cat died. And she goes, oh, was it the tide? And he says, no, I, I don't think it was the tide that got him. I think it was the spin cycle. <laughs> Friends, two weeks in a row with cat stories. Woo! Friends, why do we struggle with generosity? I would say we struggle with generosity because we are caught in a cultural spin cycle. We are in a spin cycle. For some of us, that spin cycle includes greed. We struggle being generous because our desire to acquire has gone haywire. We've bought into the myth that more stuff equals more life. And so we buy more, we store more, we hoard more. And before we know it, we've racked up a mountain of debt. And now our possess- we don't own our possessions, our possessions own us. For others of us, though, part of our spin cycle is envy, Maybe we hop on Facebook and we're sideswiped by a slew of selfies from a co-worker who went on that Caribbean cruise that you always dreamed of. Or maybe we see the car that the Joneses just bought their son. And so we see these pictures and we see these posts and we get disenfranchised. And so what do we do? We then start to buy more. And then when we buy more, we buy things that we may not even need. And we buy these things we may not even need to impress people we may or may not even like. And we're envious. For some of us, though, our issue is trust, and maybe rightfully so. Because you've seen the stories on the news, you've seen the mismanagement of funds, you've seen the lavish lifestyles, you've seen the overall hypocrisy of those who are entrusted with others' money, and and you're just jaded. You're thinking to yourself, I'm not going to give to anybody. This is just a whole corrupt system. For others of you, the reason you struggle with generosity is simply disobedience. You've heard the sermons. You've read the books. You're educated. Education's not the problem. The problem is you've been educated far beyond your level of obedience. For others of us, though, the reason we struggle with generosity is indifference. When it comes to giving or helping out a cause, we think, meh, what is my little bit? My, my little bit of money, what's it gonna do in the grand scheme of things? And, and you forget that when you put your money in the right hands, it changes everything. It's kinda like uh, if I were to take a football and I were to put that football in my hands, it's not worth very much. However, if I were to take that same football, that same pigskin, and put it in Russell Wilson's hands, it's worth $87 million, people. <laughs> now if I take my $20, it's not worth very much, I guess, in the grand scheme of things. There a couple extra value meals at, uh, at McDonald's, but I take that same $20. And I put it in the hands of the man who took five loaves and two fish and fed 5,000 people. If I do that, watch God do infinitely more with my $20 than I ever could. Some of us, we need to be shaken out of our indifference this morning. For others of us, though, in fact, maybe most of us in this room, the reason we struggle with generosity is simply this. Fear. We're afraid. We're afraid because we think to ourselves, what if I give? What if I'm generous? What if I'm even sacrificial? And then I do that, and then I don't have enough. What if I do that? What if I give? What if I sacrifice? And then God, what if I don't have enough? And the reality is you're afraid. But what if I were to tell you this morning that you have nothing to be afraid of? What I want to do right now is we've answered the question, what is generosity? generosity? We've, asked the, we've answered the question, why should we be generous? We've even talked about why we aren't generous sometimes. Here's what I wanna do right now. I wanna answer this question, why am I generous? And not, I'm not gonna say like I've got it all together because I definitely don't have it all together. So I should put it this way, why do I strive to be generous? And the answer for me is found in 1 Kings chapter 17. See, there's a story, the story of a single mom and she's in a very, very challenging situation. You see, there's a famine that has hit, but not just a famine. The Bible says a great famine. And there's this little story behind, uh, behind that that most of us have no clue about. You see, in that day when a great famine struck, there was no outside communication, no world vision, no telethons, no text to give. There was no way for a world to know what's going on and no transportation system if they did. So what a great famine meant was that there was literally no hope. And there are great accounts of this as well. So when a great famine hit, it meant many things. Some of those things meant murder. It meant thievery. It meant bodies left outside on the streets to rot. And this woman knew this. And yet the most difficult part of this woman's struggle, it wasn't the fact that there was a great famine. It wasn't the fact that there were dead bodies lining the streets. It's not even the fact that she had almost run out of food. The most difficult part of her struggle is that in the midst of all of this, she had a son to take care of. A son that she loves, a son that she adores, a son that she had all sorts of hopes and dreams for. And the reality is, they tried. They struggled. Her and her son, they scrimped. This mom and her son, they do everything they can to survive. But eventually, one day, this mom just comes to her senses. She comes to this realization that it's over, we're done. So, the Bible says then this woman begins to make final preparations for her and her son. She has just enough flour and oil to make one more loaf of bread. So, she determines that that night she's going to make that loaf of bread, break it in half, enjoy it with her son. And then the Bible says, then they're going to lay down next to each other and die. The end. Or is it? See, down the road, not too far, God was cooking up a plan of his own. See, there was this prophet. His name was Elijah, and he's been powerfully used by God. He's called down fire from heaven on multiple occasions. He's parted the Jordan River. He's even raised someone from the dead, but he too, he too has been affected by this famine. And on this day, the same day this woman is making her final plans, God tells Elijah to go to that city where that woman lives, go to her house, knock on the door, and move in with her and her son. And so, sure enough, the prophet shows up he shows up at her doorstep of this, this single mom this little boy and he looks at them and he says god told me to move in with you now if i'm that woman i'm gonna be like uh exqueeze me like what what just happened here but sure enough the prophet comes and and he knocks on the door and says i'm supposed to move in with you and miraculously this mom says you know what that's fine move on in. You're going to have the whole place to yourself soon because my son and I, we're going to use this last little bit of flour and oil, make some bread, eat it, and then we're going to die. So you might as well come in. You're going to have the whole place to yourself real soon. So then Elijah says, well, thanks. That's great. Thanks for letting me move in. But um, I'm actually not just moving in with you. See, God, um, he also told me that you're supposed to feed me. Now, now she's like, what you talk about, Willis? Like, She's not having this, but amazingly, she's she's like, what? And and Elijah's like, yeah, God told me that you're supposed to take those nearly empty jars of flour and oil, and you're supposed to feed me first. And if you feed me first, then God is going to resupply your flour and oil. So I'm going to wash up for dinner. You go, light the stove, and trust me, God's going to work this all out, but just feed me first. Now... If you're that woman, like, be honest with yourself, what are you thinking at this moment in time? If I'm that woman, I'm thinking, I'm going to throw that dude out on his bumper, right? Like, get him, like, and yet she starts thinking to herself, Elijah's here, he says this, and she starts thinking to herself, is this true? Will God really supply for my needs, like Elijah says? I mean, is this really real? And in a way, we're all like this woman. We're in the same shoes as this widow every time we're moved by God to generosity of any kind, when we're moved to make a gift to the poor, when we're moved to help out a friend, when we're moved to be obedient with a tithe check, when we're moved to do something sacrificial. See, all of us are in the same shoes as this widow when we hear that whisper from the Holy Spirit towards generosity. But then if we're honest, we all wonder, does God have my back on this? Will he see and honor my expression of generosity? Will he resupply or won't he? So let me ask you a question. Do you believe that your God will resupply? Because if you believe, then you will behave accordingly. Because the reality is what you believe determines how you will behave. So do you believe your God will resupply? Last week I told you some crazy Christian stories. Told you some crazy stories about some miraculous prayer and healing that came through those prayers. I'm going to tell you just one crazy Christian story today. Can I do that? Okay. So this is a crazy Christian story about provision. Uh, eight years ago, uh, and I'm going to do Pastor Pat a favor right here. I'm going to plug life groups like crazy. So eight years ago, I was in a life group that met on Sunday nights. One night, in walks this foxy, smoking, beautiful, hot woman. Her name was Laura McKenney soon to be Laura Eldridge, she walked in, and, uh, and she's so great, and I just saw this beautiful woman, kind heart, generous spirit, and, uh, and it was like not very long after we were in that life group that I knew, like this, this was the one. So just a few months later, like I'm thinking in my head, I'm ready to go get the ring. So we were already having that conversation, I kind of find out the ring that she wants. Only problem is it has a price tag of $2,500. I am in my mid-20s, I am a youth pastor, I do not have $2,500. So uh, I do whatever I can. I am totally smitten with this woman. I sell my red sports car, I sell my computer, and I sell my 1989 Upper Deck Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. Whoo! That is love. (laughs) And I come up with the $2,500. So it's Sunday, I'm getting ready to go buy the ring that afternoon, but first we're doing church and we do church in the morning. I make my way to the back offices here and as I'm heading out, I see one of our interns and he's bawling. What's going on, dude? And he's just in tears because he just found out that if he doesn't come up with $500 that day, he's going to be booted out of the dorms, the dorms at his school. And so in that moment, I get one of those whispers, like, just give him the $500. And here's the problem. That Thursday, I had planned this elaborate proposal. I'm talking like flowers and dresses and people and cars and like mixtapes, all sorts of craziness, (laughs) all sorts of that stuff. And I'm thinking, I got to get this ring. But if I give him the $500, I'm not going to have the money to get the ring. Therefore, uh, how am I going to go along with this proposal? Like, it's not adding up. But that whisper, it's just so strong. And and I don't get this right all the time. So don't hear me. I am perfect in this at all. Not at all. But I hear that whisper. It's undeniable. He says, give him the $500. So I give him the $500. And I'm thinking, shoot, how am I going to pull this off? So I walk down the stairs, and I head towards the back parking lot, and this has never happened again since. Person that I don't know and I have never seen since comes up, taps me on the shoulder, says, young man, God told me to give you this. Five $100 bills, boom. Friends, I understand this sounds crazy. I understand, but this is, a, this is the God we serve. He's a God who resupplies. Back to our story. Elijah. Elijah says, cook me up the bread. Feed me first. And so this woman, she cooks up the bread. She looks at this bread. She's thinking, this bread would be real good right now. I would love to have this bread for my son and I would love to at least have one more meal with my son, but I'm going I'm to follow through. So she takes that bread. She takes it to Elijah. She feeds him and she's like, all right, pal, here you go. Hope you enjoy it. And then she walks into the kitchen. And when she walks into the kitchen, she falls to her knees and she begins to weep. Why? God had resupplied. So quickly, she takes that oil, she takes that flour, she makes up another loaf of bread and she runs it out to her starving child. She feeds her child and then she runs back into the kitchen. And what happens? God has resupplied. So she takes the oil, she takes the flour, she makes another loaf, this time for herself. She goes and she eats and she enjoys with Elijah and her son. She comes back in the kitchen and what happened? God had resupplies. And the Bible said that God resupplied for the entirety of that famine three years for all three of them. Friends, we have a God who resupplies. Last week, we said that we have a God who not only shows up sometimes, but we have a God who shows off sometimes. This would be an instance of that. The Bible says in Philippians chapter four, verse 19, it says that, boom, and my God will supply, or in this case, resupply all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. So friends, why am I generous? Why do I strive to be generous? It's because I have a God who will resupply. Why am I free? Why are you free to live and to give? Because we have a God who will resupply. Why can we stop the sinister cycle of fear, distrust, and envy? It's because we have a God who will resupply. So friends... What you believe really does determine how you will behave. So if you believe you, will have a, you have a God who resupplies, then why in the world would you not live to give? Why in the world would you not do that? If you know that God is good on his word, that he will resupply. Now, hear me. It's not always monetarily. You might step out in faith and, and give sacrificially to something, and he might not repay you financially. But he will repay you with treasure in heaven. So let's talk about this. The one big idea I wanted you to walk away with is what you believe determines how you behave. And friends, we have a God who resupplies. And if we have a God who resupplies, then why in the world would we not live to give? That's what we believe. We believe our God resupplies. But there's a few other things that I just want you to walk away with this morning. Believing. Because I believe if you believe them, your heart will radically be shaped even more so in this area of generosity. So here we go. Number one, this is on your notes, something that I want you to believe. I want you to believe that I am blessed. Would you say that with me? I am blessed. You are blessed. I am blessed. Let me paint a picture for you. We're gonna do a little rich people problem test. I'm gonna paint a scenario again, and you just kind of internally nod your head if this is you. Have you ever said, I don't have any shoes to go with that outfit? You might have a rich people problem. Uh, Have you ever complained that the internet on your smartphone is slow? You might have a rich people problem. Have you ever gone shopping at Costco, got back and realized you can't fit all your food in your refrigerator? You might just have a rich person problem. Have you ever used the phrase, I think I need a vacation from my vacation? Again, rich people problems. Number five, have you ever been frustrated because the ad on the YouTube video you want to watch doesn't have a skip button? (laughs) Friends, rich people problem. Last one, has the hardest part of your day ever been getting dressed so that you don't look lazy when you go out to pay the gardener? Probably not, but I just thought it was funny. (laughs) See, I know these are a little outlandish. but. The reality is for 90% of us, to some degree, that resonated, and the other 10% of us, our problem just didn't get named, right? We are ridiculously blessed. A couple of years ago, I saw a pastor. His name is Francis Chan. You've probably seen him on YouTube or somewhere. And he gave this illustration that was so poignant and so powerful. And it, it was this. He took out a dollar bill and he was explaining that uh, as Americans, we are so ridiculously blessed. And so in the middle, the, the kind of climax part of his sermon, he takes a dollar bill and he drops it on the ground. And then he begins to describe that all around the world in other places, other than the United States, if this were to happen on a stage at a church, if a dollar bill to be dropped on the ground, what you might see is a flood of people rushing for that dollar bill. Like if you think about the majority of the world and you think about a scenario like that, you could nod your head. You could say, yeah, that, that could probably be a reality. He says he's seen it numerous times. Or people are just in such need, they see that doll and they rush the stage. Friends, we are so ridiculously blessed. If you make over $30,000 a year, you are in the top 4% of wage earners in the entire world. We are ridiculously blessed. This leads us to point number two we are blessed. I am blessed, but why? We are blessed to be a blessing. We are blessed to be a blessing. Bob Goff, he's the author of Love Does, dynamic speaker. I'd really encourage you to get some of his stuff. Super, super good. Heard him speaking on uh, this idea of generosity this week. And he was talking about the importance of of the tithe, actually, and how we give our first fruits, our first 10% to the, the church. The church is the hope of the world, he said. But then he said, after you give that tithe to the church what you're free to do, and especially us as American Christians who live in this abundant culture, what we're free to do then is to pick a fight. And I love that language. Pick a fight. So cool. And what I love about our church is we're really good at picking fights. We pick fights at Overlake Christian Church. I think about Eastside Academy. It's our high school just right behind me here. And we just got tired as a church of seeing high schoolers fall through the cracks of the system. We were done with that. And so we said, you know, we're going to pick this fight. We're going to start a high school for these students where they can be loved, cared for. And not only that, we can point them to Jesus. And friends, those students are meeting Jesus. Three weeks ago, we're at our Leavenworth retreat. Three of them meet Jesus, friends. It's awesome. It's great. We picked that fight as a church. I think about Refresh Conference, I think about Andrew and Michelle, I think about Dan Hamer, I think about our picking a fight as a church, saying we're going to come alongside foster and adoptive parents, we're going to train them, we're going to refresh them, we're going to bless them. Why? They're on the front lines every single day. Some of you, your parents, you get this. I got four kids under four. I'm pulling out my hair, I got 20 minutes of sleep last night. We need refreshment, and we just, as a church, said, we're going to pick this fight, and we're going to do this. I love that. I think about our safe parking lot in the back. I don't know if you know this, but there are homeless friends all over Redmond. We love them, and we've opened up our back parking lot to them, saying, you've got a safe place to sleep at night, and we're going to come alongside you. We're going to try to get you up on your feet and get a path, uh, a purpose. We're going to get you on track with your life. We just said, that's a fight that we're going to pick. But there's tons of fights we could pick. Maybe for you, you've been, uh, your life has been affected by cancer. Then go, pick a fight with cancer. Find an organization that's doing great work. You heard me talk about my friend Ike last week. He said that he wants to see, in his generation, he wants to see cancer eradicated. Pick that fight. That's great. Some of you, you see children who who need to be sponsored. You think of uh, Compassion International, or World Vision, and your heart is for it. Sponsor those kids. Just pick A fight. We are so ridiculously blessed. But why are we blessed? We're blessed so we can pick a fight, so we can be a blessing to other people. We are to pick a fight so that we can bring heaven down here on earth. That's what we're called to do. So now, let me tell you about my friend Chris. Chris picked a fight with some sixth grade boys. This is uh, Chris Avery and his wife Carly. Chris is a phenomenal human being, love him. Chris has got four kids of his own. Three of them are in student ministries. And uh, this past fall, he decided that, you know what, I'm going to jump on board and start serving in student ministries. Now, the way we view things in student ministries is we don't have adult volunteers, we don't have chaperones. What we do is we equip and unleash youth pastors. I don't know if you know this, but there are 500 students who call Overlake Christian Church their home. There are three pastors on staff for the youth. There is no way that the three pastors could know all 500 students intimately at a heart level. But when we unleash people like Chris, an army of youth, not chaperones, not volunteers, but youth pastors into the lives of these students, oh man, God shows up and he shows off all the time. Let me tell you about Chris. Three weeks ago, like I was saying, we went to Leavenworth. It's our annual winter retreat for student ministries. And before Leavenworth, Chris was pouring into the lives of these sixth grade boys, just showing up each Wednesday, just pouring in, encouraging them, praying for them. But he wanted to make this camp really, really special. So he decided to uh, make them some shirts. And so he made them these shirts. In fact, they designed them themselves on the back. It's got uh, the, the number 22 because that's the year they're going to graduate, 2022. And, and here's the cool thing. Over the course of the weekend, they started calling themselves the Bro Flakes, and um, and it was so cool. And you should have seen what was happening over the course of this weekend. So they're all rocking these shirts. There's like 20 of these kids rocking these shirts. And then I started to do the math in my head. There's 20 shirts at $20. There's $400 that Chris just spent on shirts in order to make a memory for these guys. But then if you were to walk around town, you'd see Chris with these 20 guys. What else is he doing? He's at Starbucks. And he's just buying them all Starbucks. He's just blessing them. What he's really doing, is creating an environment where these guys feel safe, where they feel comfortable so that when they sit in a session and they hear Pastor Jake preach and they hear the gospel, their heart is receptive to it. You want to know what's so cool? Uh, Three of those boys got baptized this last Wednesday. Here's a picture. Here's a picture. Three of those guys in his group, they're baptized this past Wednesday. And I think about Chris. I think he just spent $500 uh, on these dudes. And not only that, he sent three of his kids. He spent well over $1,000 on this weekend. But he just realized he was blessed to be a blessing. He realized that his money here, it doesn't go with him when he dies. Might as well leverage it right now. Do some good in this earth, right? And so he leverages what he has. He blesses. And now here's the coolest thing. The Bible, the Bible says this. It says, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I love this quote from Rick Warren. It said, the way you store up treasure in heaven is by investing in people getting there. Friends, that is exactly what Chris did three weeks ago. That's the power of generosity. He wasn't storing up his treasure here on earth. No, he was storing up his treasure in heaven. Here's the last point, number three. Jesus didn't die to make you safe. He died to make you dangerous. Jesus didn't die to make you safe. He died to make you dangerous. Someone has said that he who dies with the most toys wins. I categorically disagree. Have you ever seen a U-Haul following a hearse? No. But here's the truth, friends. The truth is that everything you and I have, it comes from God. It's all God's stuff. Everything that we have, it's just on loan from God. And one day that loan is going to come due. And we'll have to stand before God and give an account for what we did with what he gave us. So what are you doing with what he's given you? Are you playing it safe? Are you living comfortable? Or are you living dangerous. I want to tell you about a little boy. You might recognize him if you were here at Christmas Eve services. He was a little boy who was all about the guitars. (laughs) Here's a picture. Um, That little boy, he he happens to be my little boy. And uh, his name's Judah, he'll be four next month. And uh, if you know Judah's story, you know his story comes on the back end of some radical generosity. Uh, Laura and I were in our mid-20s She wanted to start a family uh, Had a number of miscarriages, broken hearted But we also knew that at some point we wanted to jump into the adoption game We knew that was God's heart for our family And so we thought, well, I guess why not now? And so we start filling out some paperwork And we really don't know where it's leading We just are like stepping out in faith and starting to do this And so we step out in faith and then things start to just happen Things start to happen quick. We're connected to this young girl who who is looking for someone to uh, honestly give her child to. The most selfless thing, most courageous thing somebody can do. And we're connected to this girl and we're like, oh my gosh, this is all moving so fast, but this is awesome. So we're going to step out in faith and we're going to keep doing this. And as we did, the only thing that was really scaring us was these um, bills that keep coming in. These bills are thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. In fact, we're looking at the bill, 10000 $12,000, $15,000. We're like, uh, how do we pull this off? But we just keep stepping out in faith. Well, little did we know that there was a work that God was doing in somebody else's heart. God was whispering, God was moving, he had a plan of his own. See, there was this family in here, and, and here's the American dream, right? The American dream is, is, you know, you work hard, you buy a nice house, have a nice car, raise some kids, build a, a nest egg so that when you retire, uh, you can live easy, you can live comfortable. And honestly, that's what this family had done. They they had done everything right. They had worked hard. They had saved. They had built this nest egg, and they were preparing for retirement. They sell their business, and then they hear a whisper. They hear this whisper from God, and that whisper said, I want you to go fund adoptions. Now, they could have chosen to live comfortably. They could have just retired with their nest egg, gone to Florida, collected shells. They could have done that. They didn't do that. They decided to live dangerously, decided to put their faith in God, listen and heed that whisper, and so they just give this big check to the church They say, we want to fund adoptions. Well, one of those adoptions that they funded was for Judah Boy, for my son. We had no idea where it was coming from. We didn't know how to do it, but we trusted. They listened to a whisper. They blessed us. They chose to not live comfortable. Just heed that whisper of God. And you know what, friends? I don't know if that family has been resupplied financially. I I don't know if they're living comfortably now or not. I do know that they have stored up for themselves major treasure in heaven. I do know that their reward on this side of eternity, it's good. Their reward on the other side of eternity, it's great. It's so... Good. And so good. Jim Elliott, he's a famous missionary, he said this, and then we'll, we'll close. He said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot gain, what, sorry, who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Once again, friends, everything we have, this abundance that we have in our culture, and we are so blessed. We can't take it with us. We can't take it with... It all goes back in the box. At the end of the game, it just all goes back. So how do you leverage your abundance for the here and now to bring God's kingdom here on earth? That couple found that out. So this morning, as I told you, I don't want anything from you. I want something for you. And I want you to understand that what you believe determines how you behave so... Do you believe you are blessed? Because if you do, you will be a blessing. What you believe determines how you will behave. So do you believe in a God who resupplies? Because if you do, then you will live to give. What you believe determines how you behave. So do you believe in a God who has been exceedingly generous with you? Because if you do, you will do all the good you can. By all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can, you will live to give. And friends, that is God's heart for us this morning. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, thank you today as we proclaim your word that you're doing work in this room, that you're speaking to hearts, you're whispering to people, you're calling people out of their comfort and out of their complacency into this life of generosity, this radical adventure of a life that you have for us, God, where we can listen to your voice, we can heed it, and you will move us. And then you promise, God, to resupply so we can just do it again and do it again and do it again. And God, we need that. This world needs that. So would you fill us up in this moment, God? Fill us with your spirit. Give us the passion to people who give and are generous. Lord, move through Overlake Christian Church, would we be marked by our radical generosity? And in so doing, God, would you change lives? We love you, Lord. It's in your name.